Welcome back to the program. Today, when we think about the publishing industry, we usually think about the ways it might be changing to accommodate the digital world. E-books, e-readers, cloud storage, and white backgrounds. But believe it or not, there have been other times when the publishing industry has been rocked through fundamental change, and that change was met with fervent resistance. One of those times was 80 years ago, when an executive named Alan Lane had this idea for something called paperback books, books that would be more accessible to the masses, available not just in bookstores, but in train stations, newsstands, and even the corner grocer. That fundamental idea by Lane that has been a part of all of our lives and of our reading and learning experience also became the basis of the company that he started, Penguin Books, one of the most iconic names in publishing today, an imprint that today is the flagship of Penguin Random House and marks its 80th anniversary. Joining me today to both look back and look forward at the publishing industry is Patrick Nolan. He's the vice president and editor-in-chief and associate publisher at Penguin Books, and it is my pleasure to welcome Patrick Nolan to the program. Patrick, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Jeff. And I have to say, I have a chill uh, from hearing that amazing recounting of Alan Lane and the founding of Penguin. Thank you. Well, it's incredible. It's my pleasure. Go back to that time uh, 80 years ago, a little bit of that history, and talk a little bit about the resistance to the idea of what Lane was proposing. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's so incredible. It's so hard to imagine that the industry at this time was an industry of, of, hardcover publishing, catering to a very small select clientele that only shopped on the high streets in, in, in all the, you know, market towns and in London. And, and it was truly a, a place for the elite, the, the publishing world, both who was in, you know, employed and also the, the readers. It was a closed society in many ways. And here was Alan Lane, from that world, he worked at Bodley Head, out having lunch with one of the great writers of the time, Agatha Christie, and, and had this frustration. It came from frustration that he's, he's at the train station himself trying to find a book to read for his journey back. And he couldn't find anything other than magazines and some, some really horrible, like kind of pulp Victorian novels that, that were out, in the, uh, but, but not quality. And so from that frustration came this idea and he, he took a couple people from Bodley Head and they, they started up this small startup company in the basement of a church. I mean, it kind of all sort of echoes what you started talking about the digital disruption that we've seen. And uh, he started this small company and a year later he had a million copies sold of his first 10 books, basically s selling to a wider public affordable paperback books of quality, of, of great writing. And in a way, it's such a, an amazing idea and it's a simple idea and it's what we're doing now 80 years later. It's what we try to do every day. We're always thinking about, is this really what Penguin is? And when we say that, it really is about what was Alan thinking when he started this company? And, and it helps us, it guides us to making the decisions that we make and, and what we publish to this very day 80 years later. As, it's kind as, of incredible. As interesting as what Alan did being part of this, the other side was the resistance to it and this fear at the time, which is both difficult and, and, and easy to imagine today given the kind of creative disruption we see all the time, this fear yeah. that somehow these kinds of books, this kind of work, 
in the hands of the masses was somehow antithetical to the idea of what publishing was about. Right, right. And we've seen so much of this through history. Gutenberg, the movement from a, a Latin mass, all these different ways where there was this fear somehow of, of people reading uh, and accessing great ideas and important literature. Uh, it, it's kind of amazing. And and yes, I mean, a few years ago, people were predicting that publishers somehow were going to disappear, which always baffled me because we were as busy and successful as ever during all that time. We were just undergoing a massive change in in basically a format of, of where our readers were discovering and, and actually reading uh, the books that they chose to, to read and to purchase. But but they were still reading and reading in larger numbers than ever before as well. So uh, Alan Lane's disruption in many ways is, is not so different from the one that we've kind of just experienced. And now we've settled into sort of a new reality, just like the entire publishing industry moved to the idea that uh, paperback publishing had a place in in the marketplace. And at Penguin Books, we do reprints from our hardcover partners, Viking and Penguin Press, and we also do originals that we publish primarily as, as paperbacks, uh, and always, of course, in digital formats as well. It's hard to imagine that Alan Lane was once looked at in the industry the way Jeff Bezos has been looked at over the years in the industry. Yes, yes, very, very hard to imagine. But true. Was there any sense, and from the inside the industry, was there any sense as the digital revolution was taking place, as distribution was changing as a result of things like Amazon, was there anybody that said, wait a minute, let's look back 80 years or then 70 years at what transpired as a result of what Alan Lane did? and see that there was an equal kind of resistance, and that not only did the industry survive, but it thrived. I think I think a lot of level heads were, were doing just that in many ways, and also looking at other industries during this time and seeing you know what lessons could be learned. And uh, I think a lot of people were obsessed, say, comparing the music industry with the book industry, with publishing, but there were some fundamental differences. And, and one of the things I think is core is that the the writing, the writing experience, the writers work with the editor and with the publishing team is so vital to the craft and was so intertwined that in a way that the possibility that would ever separate uh, from each other seemed impossible because it's it's so vital and and all important, and also the the idea that a, a, you the 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 more complexity the size of the work also um, made it so the comparisons to you know say a single uh, of music in MP3 being you know pirated or something was very different. But yes, I mean the um, the the lessons are there uh, in the past, and hopefully they'll guide us in the future. Because because the the core idea is just keep publishing great books. Talk so about it. Talk about it from the point of view of authors and how they felt at the time about their work getting in more hands and having wider and broader distribution as a result of what Lane was doing. Yeah. 
Well, I, you know, the first few books, uh, the, the 10 titles included Agatha Christie amongst them. So uh, my guess is she was thrilled uh, having her friend Alan find her a much wider readership. Hemingway was on that list as well. And I mean, the, he, Alan contributed to, to really the careers of, and, and the, the sort of celebrity status almost of some of the great writers of, of the day. So I'm sure they were very appreciative. When I look to the present time, I know that uh, our authors look to us, count on us, really demand of us that we work very hard to, to, to get our books out into the widest possible market distribution and to find their, their readers and to reach their readers wherever they are, however ways they're, you know, whatever means they're discovering uh, new, new things to read. They want us there with our marketing and our publicity and our promotion. So, um, I think serving the the writer and 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 finding the reader is 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 one of those core stories of our eighty years. And talk about Penguin as a company, the company that Alan started, and how that company has evolved over the years. Well, you know, from from a basement in a church with a few employees and ten books uh, to now, where Penguin Books here in in the United States has five thousand books in print. We're now part of Penguin Random House. We're the flagship imprint of a massive company that is all over the world and essentially the largest trade book publisher, not just here in the United States and in the English-speaking world, but in pretty much most markets at this point. So uh, a dramatic a dramatic change in 80 years. Uh, you know, one of our sister imprints within Penguin Penguin Random House Knopf is celebrating 100 years. So there is this kind of collection of all these incredible traditions and histories that are gathered together now under one corporate roof, uh, which which makes it really exciting. And, and it shows that in a way, even though we're this big company, each publisher acts with a lot of individualism and personality and in a way is its own small kind of startup company, you know, 80 years later. Talk a little bit about that, because in many ways, when we talk about startups and the energy and excitement that goes into to a startup, in many ways, even for established authors, and certainly when, when a new author comes along and breaks through, every project, every new book is kind of its own little startup in a way. It really is. It's a, it's a very good point. And and you you, in many ways you start from scratch, but you you build on what you've you've done before, and you. But it's always about brainstorming and coming coming up with new ideas to roll out a new voice. Uh, sometimes it's around the subject matter. Sometimes it's around a particular platform the author might have. But it, it essentially is uh, a startup operation, and we're publishing 250 books a year here. So uh, some of them are, are time-tested and, and authors that everyone knows and loves. But even that is, is hard work when you're rolling out a new project. It's, it's interesting within this Penguin brand, and we have our Penguin logo on each book, but each book kind of has to work and live on its own, which is unusual in the world of of, of other businesses, when you look at other companies and what, what they produce, very few. I mean, not, you know, Hollywood does a dozen films. The, you know, Coca-Cola has a few products. But in the publishing industry, we have so much talent and so many different writers, so many different voices that 
it's it's a stretch all the time. Going back to that period 80 years ago, certainly what Lane was doing gave wider distribution to people like Agatha Christie and the established authors of the day. What impact did it have on bringing new authors to the public? The paperback price and format has, has from the time of Alan Lane to now, offered that opportunity for a new writer to maybe find a reader who's willing to take a chance on perhaps a lower-priced commitment. You know, a, a sixpence was how much the books were back in Alan's day, the, the price of a cig- pack of cigarettes. I don't keep track of cigarettes, but probably our paperbacks <laughs> are about the same price, a lot healthier. Uh, but but still, it's it's a it's an easy. It it's not cheap, but it's not a, a a big reach in terms of taking a risk when a book catches your eye. So I think it's a really great way for a new writer to be introduced to his or her readership. And and when I think about some of the the talent that we've launched as trade paperback originals in the last few years, I, I think about. Someone like Caleb Crane, whose Necessary Errors was a novel that was probably one of the most widely reviewed books in the last couple of years and named by the Wall Street Journal as one of the 10 best books. And and I'm, I'm sure that having this new literary debut in paperback allowed him, him and his readers to connect uh, at, a, at a wider level and in a wider range than maybe it would have in hardcover just because of the, the price point resistance that exists with consumers and, and, and what, they, what they're willing to, to spend. It also did something else in terms of word of mouth and the ability, the ease at which paperbacks were passed along, passed between individuals. Absolutely. Word of mouth is so critical, even in this day and age of internet discovery and and all the things that are happening in the digital age. The word of mouth is is so critical to the success and the long life of a book. Because at, at Penguin, we're always we're always thinking about that initial publication, but we also we we publish the books for forever. We we constantly are thinking and working on our list. So you need the advocates out there and you're absolutely right the paperback format allows for that in a way that that you know a precious hardcover you don't want to leave your shelf but you might you might press the paperback you finished into someone's hands and say you've got to read this and that just becomes an exponential uh, growth event it's also something that digital doesn't easily provide I mean it really is a, a particularly unique feature of, of paperbacks yeah, I mean, it, as much as I, I welcome and and I'm excited that the digital format's here because a lot of people like it and they choose to read that way, you're absolutely right. It's really, it's almost impossible to do that thing that we're talking about. And also, I think on the digital side, it's hard to discover new works. If you're, if you're, uh, faced with the, the digital storefront, it's, it's very hard to find new talent. It's, the, the marketing that happens there is, is designed to feed you bestsellers and books that sort of fit the logarithm of your previous purchases. It doesn't allow you to have that sort of free spirit of, of the, the wonderful feeling of walking into a bookstore or sitting down with a friend who's going to say, you know, you might not think you're going to love this book about rowing because you aren't a rower, but Boys in the Boat is the most amazing American story of a team that I've ever read. You have to read it. You know, that kind of uh, 
thing really gets sparked by, I think, the physical book. What impact has the digital world had on paperback sales? How have the two worked with and against each other over the past several years? It took a long time to figure that out uh, because the, the the growth in digital was so fast. And, you know, basically in about five, six years, we went from a, a 2% digital sale overall in the industry to about where it is now, about 25, 30%. And so it was hard to figure out. A lot of people made quick judgments. I think now that we've kind of got a sense of of what the new landscape is, that there are people who were price sensitive, who decided to buy digital readers, and the lower price of digital books has driven them to be digital readers. And those people were part of our old paperback market. But price was only, I think, one driving piece of the paperback market. And, and the fact that we have big, massive, mega bestsellers in paperback still indicates that that format, that portability, take it on your commute, take it to the beach, put it on a, you know, in a bag when you get on the plane. I think the, um, the, the elements of the paperback that are great are still there and still appeal to a very large group of people. It also has an appeal, interestingly enough, to young people, and partly because of their experience as students, and it really has been a, a plus in terms of uh, keeping millennials reading, even as much as digital has. Yeah, I think so, and it's funny because I, I think some of the the early, again, these early predictors, mm-hmm. uh, the people out trying to tell us what was going to happen, thought that the next generation was all going to move to digital. But actually what we found is uh, most of our digital readership is, is a slightly older demographic and the millennials, the younger people that you're talking about, they, they love the physical book because it, they can be seen reading, they can share them, they can enjoy the covers. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the way vinyl has sort of come back for the people who really love music. Uh, there's, there's something really cool about them. It's also been a big boom as far as the classics are concerned, and Penguin Classics has certainly taken advantage of that. We have. We have. We have about 1,300 books on our list now, and the thing that has happened the last few years at in Penguin Classics that I'm most proud of is that we've been working very hard to expand our list from beyond the sort of traditional 20th century definitions of Western European literature and American literature to include the entire world. So we truly have a global classics list now that hits all the continents. And uh, next year we're going to publish our first classic from Korea. We've we've had books from the Philippines, from Cuba, from South America, from the Middle East the last few years, Africa. We have a growing series. Uh, so it's 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 really a, a truly global list and it's authoritative and and it's the biggest, thirteen hundred books. And I think when professors are thinking about texts and they have choices, they pick Penguin because they know no matter what book they want to teach, they're going to be able to find one in the classics and it's going to have good scholarship and it's going to be the authoritative text and and their students will will have a great experience with the book. One of the other other aspects of this is portability. I mean, it sounds trite when, when thinking about this, but given the speed at which people move nowadays, portability and, and the lightness of, of being of a paperback is, is an important part of it. Yeah, portability and accessibility. I mean, I'm 
getting on a plane tonight, flying to Europe, and I've got three paperbacks in my carry-on. I won't have to worry about battery life. I won't have to worry about what I can have on and off at takeoff. And <laughs> it, yeah, it's great. I mean, it, you can't beat that technology. It was a good one. Alan Lane had a good idea. <laughs> 80 years later. I wonder if 80 years from now, uh, it, it'll still be something worth talking about. I, I have a feeling it will, just given how much change the world and this industry and everything has, has everything that's happened over 80 years. That here we are, in a sense, talking about the same things and, and loving the same things that he was drawn to when he published these paperbacks 80 years ago. So um, who knows what it will be like, but it's hard to imagine that, that this conversation won't be happening one way or the other. Patrick Nolan, he's the vice president, editor-in-chief, and associate publisher of Penguin Books, celebrating Penguin Books' 80-year anniversary. Patrick, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks. It was great talking to you. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. 